passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock alongside Mr. Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. Welcome back to Rewind a Raw. I am back. I can say after today, I feel like I'm back from vacation. Yeah, you're you're not fully back until you go through your Monday grind of uh, three hours of, of Monday Night Raw. But I mean, you've been very busy even prior to this, haven't you? This is a this was quite the day. I think this is going to be one of the more significant days that we look back on. On Friday, certainly that was a big story dropping, but I think on Friday, and you correct me if you feel differently, I think that people still left with the idea that is the door closed on Vince McMahon ever returning, whereas today, it felt like that door was shut. And tonight's Raw, while it didn't surprise me, it was surreal that here is an entire show and the, while we got one veiled reference to him, the name Vince McMahon was never said on television. We are in a WWE environment where Vince McMahon does not exist any longer on air. At least for now. For now. But I I do believe that this is um, I, I really cannot see him ever back in a, in a power position uh, being honored at some point down the road. You can. You can speculate that where things change, as we have seen, there have been many, many figures that have faced grand scrutiny. And as time elapses, people forget and or just put that aside. But um, in in terms of Vince McMahon ever being near the figure that he once was, I think that is all going to be in the past tense. 
Perhaps, yeah. Um, I mean, I think in terms of his name um, being a hot button issue right now for the company, we we might be experiencing. Well, you know, I can't even fully say it because new things might come out. But at least um, it feels like that's that's a peak right now. Um, where I, I, I don't think the on-air product wants to, you know, be associated with the terrible headlines that are out there right now. Um, but but, but they did this, it on Friday, way. It was like all of these allegations and these NDAs were out there of what he was accused of, but it was it was the money that was ultimately the the downfall here of this person who got a lionized tribute on Friday and not even a mention of if you were to tell me that there will come the day that Vince McMahon steps away and on the preceding Monday Night Raw, his he's his leaving the company will not even be mentioned. Yeah, true. I mean, over the weekend, I feel like there, there have been even more headlines, you know, since Friday. Um, certainly today, um, this was not a show where they were trying to control the, the headlines and, and to make their own, um, you know, um, Sort sort of version of the story by manipulating the crowd into thank you Vince chant. No, um, nothing like that at all. I, I think they want to run from. They do not want to be attached to the name Vince McMahon, and I don't think that is a, an error by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, that was just what tonight's show was. Now, this was not a raw that I would say. I am. I would imagine this is going to do a very good number tonight with a lot of lapsed fans coming back out of sheer curiosity whenever you see a, bi- a big shakeup like this. And there's a new, oh, we saw it years ago when, when Heyman and Bischoff were installed into those roles. And that was still underneath. It was a Vince McMahon show, but you, you still, you generate that curiosity out of your fan base. I think that was heightened tonight to tune in. And what you got was a show that was still largely put together by, you know, the outgoing um, sensibilities, I, I would say. Um, one source had told me that, you know, this show had largely been put together uh, prior to the changes, maybe some minor tweaks. But what we saw tonight was like, I mean, if you were not aware of the news, like this was a standard raw, I, I would say in terms of a go home show for SummerSlam, even disappointing in that sense of selling you on the show. Yeah, that's right. You know, um, in these sort of regime changes, I imagine part of the challenge is to simply have the show take place and have it seem like there's nothing wrong so i wasn't personally expecting anything major uh shifting right away if if there is going to be any sort of tonal shift i think we'll see it in the weeks and months to come but today I, I'm, I'm sure for the people in the back it was simply about you know maybe getting everything in order just so that they could even present a show I, and I understand that. Like, you do have SummerSlam on Saturday. I would not be advocating for a show where you come in and blow everything up and do something crazy. At the same time, I do think from a public strategy standpoint, you would want your audience to come out of this show, I think, energized and focused on what's coming next, as opposed to still looking at what has just happened with the outgoing Vince McMahon. And I, I would imagine your audience watching this show they're still looking backward as this company is attempting to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. Perhaps I think, you know, they'd be better off perhaps getting through SummerSlam and then maybe even as soon as next Monday, you know, figuring out what the new direction is under a new regime. Um, all this buzz about potentially USA wanting a, what is, what is it? PG 14. What What is the rating here? TV 14. 
TV 14 rating, you know, that that seems to be very well timed to uh, coincide with a brand new shift, uh, a, a brand new, you know, perhaps um look for the show. And, and it, it needs to be something that I think is of a more concerted effort to, you know, tell the, and announce to the audience that you're going to get, get something different rather than just maybe something a bit more, you know, quickly put together. Right. The, the, the Paul Levesque creative era is not going to be defined in one show. It's not going to be mm-hmm. defined in a month of shows. It is going to be a process that we look back uh, months, a year from now and see some of the small and the philosophical changes that this show is I- embedded with or not. What elements of the past will they still cling to? You, you have to remember, this is still a culture that has known one way uh, prevent presenting professional wrestling for their entire careers if they have been in this system that you know different ways have kind of been you know that's the wrong way of doing things or it's just you're not aware of other ways this is just embedded in us that two guys are wrestling a contract needs to be signed we need (laughs) a face-to-face and multiple rematches after um you know it's all of these things that will be under a spotlight but that's that's not going to be evident immediately this is this is a long-term change uh, assuming that the Paul Levesque is going to be in this role for years to come. And what Absolutely. his vision will be as, as opposed to like NXT, where we saw like what that vision was and how that translates when you are uh, broadcasting to 2 million people on Monday nights instead of, you know, the high six figures. You know, SummerSlam is, is set to be the culmination of several storylines. And you're not just going to come in at the end of a storyline and somehow change things to fit, fit your vision. You have to see the story through. You have to see the characters through, and and what we're what we're presented with this week is still very much, you know, the 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 remnants of what was already set before. So a few news items to get to before we go through Raw is that uh, the Wall Street Journal has another report out today uh, stating that the SEC and federal inquiries into Vince McMahon's hush money payments sped up McMahon's decision uh, to step down after launching investigations. So this was sort of alluded to in the 8K about potential uh, investigations and uh, regulatory issues that they uh, have faced and could be facing uh, more of. So this is more so just identifying um, what kind of pressure points Vince McMahon and the company were facing and will still continue to face. It is not as though Vince McMahon stepping away uh, erases any of this. So this is this is an ongoing story and what kind of penalties um, the company and Vince McMahon could be facing on, on top of everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as you know, as time goes on, I feel like we'll get uh, that much more clarity about all of this. And it's not just the, I guess, the board of investigators um, hired um, sorry, the board of directors hired investigators that are on the case now. Well, it's it's the the board of directors that is yeah that they had hired out uh, a firm that is still continuing the investigation of which we await the results of and and the findings and how those will be presented. I would think the company is in a position right now they where they are encouraged uh, to be transparent with uh, as much of the findings of that investigation as possible. Um, that they would want to present. Um, sort of a, a clean slate here to to your public and what the what the reaction is going to be of your shareholders uh, to all of this like there are many different masters um, to answer to in the wake of all of this and the SEC breathing down your back is not going to be I- ideal in any scenario no not at all uh, according to uh, fightful uh, Paul Levesque did hold a meeting with talent prior to raw 
And uh, fr- fr- from the notes in their reporting was uh, Levesque just giving a message of uh, promising transparency, uh, open lines of communication and wanting work to be fun. So it seemed to be kind of just a, a rallying the troops kind of speech, uh, but also with, with a nod that, you know, things were things can be improved based on the the work environment that these people were part of that, you know, he wants to change and um, sort of a a change amongst just the the open lines of communication between, you know, talent and those that oversee them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's a move that a lot of people will be happy with maybe some people who were Vince's Vince's chosen ones might not be as happy but uh you know this is a locker room full of a lot of talents that have gone through a Paul Levesque led NXT um and I imagine a good chunk of them would be ecstatic about this what what are your feelings on Paul Levesque having the dual role of overseeing all the creative responsibilities and juggling being the head of talent relations those are two complete full-time jobs that he is balancing. This was what uh, Bruce Pritchard was doing, wasn't it? For you know, a few weeks, yes. For an, for an interim, at least, yeah. Um, I again, we're talking about somebody who we didn't think was going to come back at all due to health reasons, and even one of those jobs, I would say half of one of those jobs, is probably stressful enough for the average person. So, for somebody like him with already his health issues, how long will he? have a position like this so, so much of it right, right now i think the announcements of, of him being employed in, in both of the, those roles is maybe some level of pr you know maybe some level of assurance that hey here's a guy who's already done this job uh he's been in our system for a long long time um trust that he could do this and uh don't go selling that stock right away you know how how, how I, I i imagine he he might be instituting some some form of team that i mean there's already a team there but is he going to be um, shuffling that 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 roster around, maybe bringing on some of his his own guys. I I have to think that he's keeping his health a priority as well, and not overexerting himself. Yeah. Um. To me, it's just it's it's concerning in the sense that it's it's this is an incredibly uh, stressful job. Um, in talent relations, like it's a very very small group that have held this role in in the company's history. When when you go back to J.J. Dillon and Jim Ross and John Laurinaitis and Paul Levesque, like it's it's a very small group. Like they have had, you know, a talent relations department, but in terms of the heads, like it's, it's very few people and who they had that that confidence in in putting in there. Um, it, it's also the idea of being the head of creative and the head of talent relations. Like, do you want that to be the same person? Like, if you have an issue, um, let, let's let's just bring up like you know Sasha Banks and Naomi. If you replay that and they have an issue. Um, with something presented to them, who is your go-to person? The head of creative is also the head of talent relations. Do you want the same person having kind of that vacuum of power that you don't have somebody you know else that you can have on on that department? It's sort of you know all on one person. You know, but historically in professional wrestling, have those two roles been different? I mean, when we look at maybe wrestling on a much smaller scale and even historically, I mean, you you really just have the booker who's in charge of booking the talent, who's in charge of writing the storylines, who's in charge of, you know, handling any sort of criticisms uh, or pay of the, of the talent. This is obviously a much bigger company with a, on, on the biggest scale. Um, but is it is it simply a, a way to get back to basics to make things more efficient? Um, I just I, I look at it that this is a, a role to me that is a complete full time job that I, I would just think like how many people did they believe 
they have ready that they had ready to install into a position like that when when John Laurinaitis was uh, put on you know his hiatus however you want to de- determine it the go to was Bruce Pritchard like it just seems it's like it's a very small club of who they have that faith in to to task with with those kinds of duties in an interim basis or in this position a, a permanent one in, in Paul Levesque who very hard to have envisioned this six months ago that here is the guy that has um, a great, great amount of power at, at this point. He is the number three person in the company. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, depending on the metric. Yeah. I suppose you could say number three, but um, at least public facing, I, I mean, he feels like he's, you know, a bigger deal than, than Nick Khan is. So maybe even number one, maybe even above Stephanie, when you're talking about, you know, in terms of like how much control he has over the overall product and, and the talent and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I would think that maybe this is him just kind of taking over the reins and instituting his own systems before rather than somebody who's, you know, it remains to be seen. Like how in control will he be? How much of a control freak will he be versus what a Vince McMahon was? Um, and, and again, you know, considering his health and, his added responsibilities. I I hope he's leaning on other people a bit more. It 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 will be fascinating to look at all of these people in their different roles. Like they have, as long as they've been in this company, it has always been that no matter how high high you are, you answer to one person, and that one person is gone. Paul Levesque does not have to, um, you know, massage anything. He does not have to, you know, acquiesce to anybody. I mean, he is the final stamp when it comes to the creative process. Nick Khan, every single interview, when it's brought up, he would always say, I report to Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon runs this company. Well, now you are co-CEO of the of this company. I think Nick Khan's uh, importance, whatever you wanted to uh, value it at, it is that much more today as the person mm-hmm. that is so central to Every every one of their business dealings, and when you're seeing the reaction of the stock today, with you know added optimism of a sale, you know he is going to be that point person when it comes to the television negotiations, which very much could be tied in with talks of a sale. He is your point person there, and uh, that is someone that I, I would say with Vince McMahon gone, like if you could classify anyone as invaluable to the success of your company, uh, Nick Khan to me is number one. Sure. Uh, the stock itself today, um, it opened, um, it, it was up 8% today uh, since it's open. It closed Friday at $66.25 and today closing at seventy-one eighty-one. So this this was hardly, um, you know, any, any kind of revolt from shareholders when it came to this uh, chaotic news. Uh, we only have to go back uh, two and a half years when George Barrios and Michelle Wilson left the company as co-presidents and the stock tanked. After that loss, which was coupled with the fact that they really did not have a concerted plan, it was very abrupt. And, you know, in in hindsight, it was the right move. And this was actually a point in Vince McMahon's favor. Um, It was believed one of the big philosophical differences was, you know, the direction of the WWE Network and who ultimately came in as the new president of the company. It was Nick Khan. So in in the long run, that that was a move that did play out well uh, for WWE. But you know, that was always the thought for for years and years of Vince McMahon not being with this company. How would the stock react? And it seems that it was certainly offset, if not boosted. In fact, it was boosted by the fact that it seems like there is a lot of um, focus on on a sale now. And, you know, the, the general sentiment of when, not if. 
So who's going to buy this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this, this to me was a little, who's going to buy it? Um, I have no idea. You know, I'll maybe, maybe we'll, we'll uh, gather a group around and, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll try to shop it for, for, for it ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, this was a bit, certainly a bit of a surprise, I think to a lot of us, but um, we would have had no way of knowing, you know, how people would have reacted to Vince McMahon ultimately leaving this company in the short term, you know, um, this the stock market seems to be seems to be reacting most on on the potential of a sale but i don't know how they're going to react let's say you know by the time the next earnings call comes out whether or not this this sort of optimism or or maybe speculation is sustained um when when is the next earnings call so they haven't announced, um, you know, part of today's 8K filing was announcing the, the fact that the financial statements for this last quarter uh, have not been completed yet. They they are redoing their financial statements going back to 2019. So that's kind of um, put off. The, like, usually it would be the first week of August, but you would get the announcement by now of when that call would be. So it's still to be determined when that call will be. And obviously, there's going to be heightened interest in in that call. Uh, just given all of this uh, involved. But, you know, as well, working in their favor is that we we saw this in the lead up to the 2014 television negotiations. And again, in the lead up to the, you know, announcement in uh, 2018, when they signed the renewal with NBC Universal and the deal with Fox was the anticipation of those rights deals going up led to the stock just climbing and climbing. So I I do believe that over this next year is when, you know, the the big negotiations are going to be uh, begin and you would estimate like next spring uh, that would coincide with the last time that the announcement was made around 18 months before the rights were up. So, you know, I, I would say that there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of interest. Like you saw uh, several analysts today, you know, I- increasing their optimism on, on the WWE stock as well, that there just looks to be, um, you know, no panic at all, quite the opposite. And in the, uh, bizarre irony of all things, Vince McMahon remains the biggest shareholder. So his his day was not all bad because on paper he had an enormous increase today because of the stock increase. Well, when you're already rich, what does being even more rich necessarily mean? You know, unless he has some sort of exit strategy or or, or transitional strategy where he might tr- look to maybe sell to get into a different business, perhaps. But at 77, is he even considering something like that? Um, I, to me, like this is a still an overall, you know, major loss for, for him. He's, he's losing his day to day. He's losing his, what seemed to be for a long, you know, from the outside looking in one of his primary reasons for existing is to play in his sandbox. He's lost his toys. He's lost the rights to the sandbox to, to somebody else now. And it wasn't his choice. So I, I don't know if any amount of money, um, to him is, is making him feel that much better. Yeah. I, I feel that when when all this blows over, the focus of like a next chapter for a Vince McMahon, will that option be available to him? Will um, what what will he want to do? I think people are just going to purely be guessing because he has never been in anywhere near this position in his entire adult life where he does not have an outlet for work. And on top of that, you know, his name is is not good right now. Who's going to want to work with him next? He, he is leaving the company he is going to forever be associated with, and he's leaving disgraced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this follows like the XFL debacle two years ago. So, I mean, there's and, – and how much will he believe that he uh, – like, will he be satisfied with this being 
the final chapter on, on his legacy as well. It's it's the lowest one of his of his career. So that's uh, another one to follow. Uh, before we get into to Raw, just a quick here here on the on the ratings. SmackDown on Friday coming out of the the news of Vince McMahon's resignation, two million two hundred fifty six thousand viewers and a point six two in the eighteen to forty nine. Their second highest demo number of the year and highest since January. They were number one on television in the demo. And then Rampage doing 428,000 viewers, 8.17 in the demo. So viewers were down from the week before, but their highest demo since April the 22nd. So you can take that as um, some positivity for Rampage, which has has struggled um, throughout the playoffs. And when the playoffs ended, it's not been a bounce back effect, but at least getting some good news there in the 18 to 49 number. Do, do you think Rampage at all benefited off of this news? Because that was not the case uh, in June, when SmackDown had that huge number with Vince appearing, and the idea it would just lift both numbers up, um, but this like I, I can't tell you, Rampage had all that uh, intrigue a, a, at all going into it, and yet they they did do you know by their standards a, a good eighteen forty nine number. I mean, could be some heightened interest based off of the ROH uh, show the next day. It's hard for me to see any relation between the Vince news and Rampage's numbers going up unless, you know, maybe maybe more eyeballs on SmackDown means more eyeballs on Rampage. But I, I, I don't I don't know much about that. Well, let's get into the big edition of Raw from Madison Square Garden on Monday night. And we uh, started off the show very abruptly with a brawl mid brawl with the Miz and Logan Paul as the show began. And the first of, I think, uh. 500 segments involving officials breaking up a fight on this show. And Logan Paul had challenged Miz to come get me prior to the show going on the air. And uh, that's where we, we picked up. And then that segued into the bloodline coming out. So um, a different type of open for the show with the Miz and Logan Paul, um, their best segment of the night by far. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Um, you know, it was a nice hot tease to start the show. I thought for a time that this would be the only thing that we would get. I don't know if they would have scrapped, you know, that impulsive deal after this or not, but they certainly did. I mean, I felt like this was their way of maybe getting that Logan Paul into integration on the show while not showing us the <laughs> not not so not 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 subjecting him to like a live TV crowd reaction that was most certainly negative uh, even before, you know, the show went on air with uh, some fan videos that have been shown out there. So uh, no, this was simply just a tease so that you can get the segment later on uh, where you can get the full brunt of the negative crowd reaction to Logan Paul. We'll, we'll spend some time on that segment later on in the show. So the bloodline are out. Corey Graves is comparing Roman Reigns to Bruno San Martino and Pedro Morales, what they did in this arena. And uh, Reigns hands it over uh, the microphone over to Paul Heyman and the microphone like legit gives out. And Heyman just on the fly uh, blames the sound guy who must be from New Jersey or something. So that gets a big pop. Um, you know, it, it is Paul in New York, but nonetheless, like going for the babyface reaction here to to heal the uh, uh, the New Jersey guy. He, I mean, quick as ever, right? You know, the, who, he's who, very who, quick. Who better on this roster to deal with um, technical snafu on live TV than than somebody as probably the sharpest man uh, among you know in the industry than than Paul Heyman? He also said. Leave your name. We want to know it because you are the next one out the door. That's right. He said you would be the next one out the door, which um, 
was a more subtle line than we would get in in a few minutes. And Heyman refers to the garden as the bloodlines city hall. And this Sunday will mark 700 days with reigns as universal champion. They list off, you know, Lesnar's legacy of big match victories, ending streaks, and says that when you think of the Yankees, you think of the Red Sox, Hogan, you think of Savage, Austin and Rock. But after SummerSlam, you won't have to think of Lesnar when you think of Reigns because they will exercise Lesnar out of Reigns' legacy. Heyman is sick of Lesnar's name, riding Reigns' coattails, and it's time for him to go back to Saskatchewan. And Lesnar won't be able to stand at all after Saturday. And we think this is the end of the segment, but Theory comes out. And he reminds them about the cash-in, lots of what chance, and Reigns invites him into the ring, telling Theory he doesn't know what he's doing with that briefcase, and tells Theory, your daddy isn't here anymore, and this is my ring. And this leads to a chant of, daddy's gone, and who's your daddy? To which Reigns says, if he keeps screwing up, I'll be his daddy. And this was as much of a reference to Vince McMahon as we got on the show. But... um. More than I thought, to be quite honest. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, honestly, I I wouldn't have been surprised, that, you know, um, to to see a Stephanie or to see a Triple H fully come out and and you know, um, give us the the whole town hall address, but we we didn't get it. Instead, we just kind of got what I thought was a really cool line here from you know Paul Paul both Paul Heyman and Robin Reigns, uh, who are probably both responsible in crafting a segment like this. Um. It, it it worked really well in the context of him, you know, wanting to tease Austin Theory about losing his mentor. And it also worked in in sort of like a, you know, kayfabe breaking sense. Um, just, you know, being, I, I, I suppose, a little bit edgy and mentioning something that perhaps the company overall does not want to hear mentioned. I thought it was a good opening segment. And uh, Heyman and Reigns in particular came across really well in how they were able to play with the crowd reactions to what they were saying. Or, um, you know, in the case of Heyman, the microphone not working. Theory is going to be one of the more interesting characters to watch because of the such close linking to Vince McMahon and Mm -hmm. how this character is portrayed on television and felt like he was going to be the recipient of that one line on on this show. So, you know, this this big, big push that he's been been receiving I, I mean, it's just going to be one to watch because he is the most intrinsically linked to Vince McMahon of any character on the show. And, and, and there's great story potential in that. You know, here's a guy who has lost his mentor. How is he going to flourish without him, without the shortcuts, without, you know, the weird life lessons? He's going to um, have to go into the ocean like Wesley. Okay, yes. He's going to have to find himself. Yes. Yeah, um, I, and, I don't be lost, see, but but you can't but you can't name the person that you've lost. Right. Yes. I don't see them giving up on theory at, at all. Like, if anything, I, I just see I see them having more reason to to give him an, an effective storyline now that he's not just a guy with the money in the bank briefcase. He's a guy who's who's potentially directionless without his mentor. So um, the segment ends as Jay and Jimmy are walking out and Jay just slaps Theory in the back of the head on his way out. Like total asshole bully. Great and, little slap. Yeah, yeah. Loved it. And Theory attacks with the briefcase and Reigns holds Jay back as the bloodline leave. And this would be the start of like 40 minutes of Theory in this first hour. I mean, yeah. he was all over 
hour one of the show. Uh, and we come back from break, and he is introduced. He's still in the ring, and he gets introduced once again. That's cut off by Drew McIntyre, so we get th- this matchup with Theory and Drew. And Theory rolls out of the ring, avoiding the Claymore. And this is after he's just being thrown all over the place. Theory eventually gets the advantage, throwing Drew into the steps. Drew is selling his ribs and beats the count into the ring. And then the brawling brutes interrupt as Drew is setting up for the Claymore, and we get a DQ finish. I think at this point, everyone realized, okay, we, we are not getting the, uh, this the, is the, not the a brand new, new coat era. of paint is, yeah. is on hold. I think everyone realized. I, I actually thought like this this was a bad idea just in the sense of doing a finish like this. I, I feel like it was – there was such a disappointment with, with the audience to just do yeah. a DQ that I would at least – you're not getting wholesale changes, but you could at least do – you know, the kind of finish that are not going to elicit such a response that it's the same old, same old. And that's what this felt like to me. Like your very first match on the show, I think it kind of just took the wind out of people's sails. There's a whole lot of interest from people tuning into Raw for the first time in a long time, hoping to see some significant change coming off of the news. And this was just a message to tell them that, you know, you're not going to get that on this show, at least. Um, I, I think there are probably so many things that go into crafting a three hour show that we're not necessarily privy to, you know, things like um, keeping your stars on screen to to retain ratings, things like not giving people a full finish, perhaps as a way to cliffhang them over to the next segment. I don't know how that works, but I have to, I have to believe that there's some reason why they, they continue to rely on these awful tropes week after week, you know, um, and I don't. I, I would hope that they wouldn't continue unless they saw some benefit out of them. So again, you know, this is this might have been just a script that was handed down to Triple H for him to execute uh, on the show, and uh, or could be that they they have reason, uh, justified reason to 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 do stuff like this. Um, you know, but we shall see. Like a month from now, whether or not we continue to see these stupid DQs. So Sheamus is attacking with the shillelagh. Bobby Lashley runs down for the save, and we come back from break. It's Drew and Bobby Lashley against Sheamus and Theory. So just snap your fingers. We have a tag match on our hands. Sheamus is teasing Theory, pretending to tag him, but then he doesn't. And Graves brings up, it could be Sheamus versus Theory at Clash at the Castle. It could. could. It could be Sheamus versus Theory Mm -hmm. at Clash at the Castle, Corey. Lashley gets the tag. He's delivering flatliners. Butch gets into the ring. The dog. Holland hits a uh, gets hit with the Glasgow kiss on the floor, and then a belly to belly sends Butch into Ridge on the floor. We come back from break. Drew is tagged and throws Theory around some more. Uh, Drew then takes Sheamus to the floor and is hit with white noise. And as uh, Ziggler appears ringside, he distracts Theory as he's about to hit a town down. But he's caught. He's caught by this magnificent looking man on the floor and just stares at him. And it leads to Lashley breaking free and applying the hurt lock for the submission victory. And this was our reminder that it is theory against Lashley at SummerSlam and not theory against Dolph Ziggler. Right, because it, it would be a little bit confusing watching this show because theory is just, you know, he's got like four different people that he's really setting his sights on right now. Yes, he's got um, a lot of programs on the go. Yeah. You know, this was a well-executed, very standard WWE set of matches full of very familiar tropes and, you know, distractions to set up all the all these various programs. Mm, nothing about the wrestling, honestly, stands out to me anymore, at least when we're talking about Raw, because so much of it just feels patterned and stuff we've seen before. 
Um, but, you know, it is notable that this is a New York crowd and they reacted really well to Bobby Lashley here. He, to me, felt like a hotter babyface than Drew McIntyre on the show now that we see the two of them side by side. So I think they continue to do a good job with building him. He seems fresh and really, really quite ripe for either a challenge against Roman or Brock Lesnar um, very shortly. Sheamus and Theory, I thought they both did okay jobs. You know, they're they're both villains that I think are kind of difficult to get excited about because they just, in terms of like their star power or at least their talent level, just, yeah, I don't want to say talent level because Sheamus I think is great, but Theory to me is still very much unproven despite him getting that big push. So, man, they're beating him a whole lot. You know, they're they're just having him like eat pinfalls. He's eating super kicks to end segments. He's just like... He's getting the standard money in the bank treatment where they're just like <laughs> just treating him like ass and, uh, you know, with the assumption that you might forget it. So it, it seems to telegraph at least a successful cash in soon. So after that segment, we went to uh, Theory walking up the stage and he was met with double super kicks from the returning Usos and Reigns walking out with Heyman gave him his case and tells him to make the right decision on Saturday. And that concluded the tour de force of theory in this first hour. Yeah. Then a Ray Mysterio video package done to wherever I roam a collection uh, or a collaborative effort of Jay Balvin and Metallica. Oh, okay. Was that what this was? Interesting. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ray Mysterio, 20 years since his WWE debut in July of 2002. And we got comments here from all different sorts of guys, JBL, Angle, Batista, Kofi, Orton, Cena, and went over winning the Rumble in 2006, then winning the title at WrestleMania 22, and just a bunch of highlights of one Rey Mysterio over two decades. Good little video here. Um, You know, condensing 20 years into two minutes. Yeah. It was a yeah. nice video package. I, th- I thought it was a nice video package. It was nice. And and I suppose, like, most wrestlers kind of have this thing where, like, in 20 minutes, you know, when it's time for their Hall of Fame, what what do you include? And um, it just kind of tells you that, like, the vast majority of what you do just doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. And what really matters is, like, your debut. That matters. Um, you know, your angle with Eddie Guerrero where um, you put your son on the line. That matters. You winning the championship, that matters. And that's kind of it, you know? Um, that's a career right there. That's it. You know what? We make careers way too complicated. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. But then this, this beautiful car pulls up and out pops Rey Mysterio and Dominic gets out of the back and they just like hug. I... I way you and I have gone on many car trips together. We've never arrived at our destination and just embraced each other like this because we reached the destination. Like the GPS was right. I punched in Madison square garden and here we are. I mean, this was a pretty, like, wasn't this like a a limo or some sort of like big, you know, Cadillac type of thing. There's plenty of room to hug in the car before getting out. If you're going to hug at all. This was a, this was a, this was a wonderful moment, but then we realized they're not in the car alone. It's the returning Angie and Aaliyah, formerly uh, a link to one uh, Buddy Matthews. That is correct. Yes. So we then had the uh, the mysterious vignette that just had the words, I am coming to. Coming to. Uh, yeah, he's he's been out. So he's coming to. Yes. 
Dolph Ziggler's backstage with Kevin Patrick and explains that Theory just needs to be taught a lesson. He's the, he's seen hundreds come and go, and Theory has not earned this success. So AJ walks in, and he understands Dolph's uh, perspective here. Elf Academy show up, and Gable says that Theory has surpassed Dolph and AJ in both of their careers, and you're just jealous, and we'll beat the jealousy out of you. So this sets up a tag match for later. AJ accepts on the spot, and then Ziggler calls Chad Gable a Nathan Fielder wannabe, which prompts AJ to ask, who's that? I don't see much Nathan Fielder in Chad Gable. I mean, I, I have not, uh, I, I did not see that comparison either, but I was glad yeah. the comparison was made regardless. Hey man, you know, you know, a, a comedian's mainstream when, when they're acknowledged on Monday night raw, you know, they're sure. Is is this, is this like you going to a concert and seeing a band in front of like 30 people? And now he's being name dropped at Madison square garden in front of millions of people. I think like you, you were on the ground floor. Uh, a lot of people were. Um, uh, it certainly makes it less cool, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. I, I, don't I do really sense that like about it. you that you are very quick to be like, check, please. I'm a I'd like. There's too much, too much on this guy now. I'm gonna go find. I mean, someone uh, with a no, I saw, I'll still watch it. I, I'm just saying, and I, I it doesn't really do the, do that much to you know make me like it more. Does does his style of comedy not? kind of run the risk though very much of the same like with like how long can he do it once you reach like a certain level like part of it yeah. is like no one knows who you are and that that's the charm of it all of how you can get into all of these situations but Sasha Baron Cohen ran into this and I feel he's at that stage now too where I, I unless you have like willing participants yeah certainly well I mean I, I think these sort of comedians have to come up with different ways um you know uh but as for as big as I think you might think somebody is, as much as you know, we might hear a Dolph Ziggler name drop of, of somebody and, and makes them feel like they're they're that much bigger. Um, still, a lot of people that probably don't know who they are, and uh, I think you can also ultimately like we want to see creativity, we want to see just you know ways to make people laugh, and I don't think you necessarily have to do that by showing your face. When CBC is profiling you, that's that's when you've made it. That's 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 my problem. He started on the wrong. CBC. That's right. I mean, he was on uh, this hour's 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Do you know he was in an improv group with Seth Rogen? I did. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. So Ray and Dominic come out for the, the, the anniversary celebration and we cut to the greatest party ever <laughs> in this party room where Aaliyah and Angie are with just a bunch of randoms and we have got... <laughs> These balloons that they've got a two and a zero. Then in the corner, we've just got a cluster of multicolored balloons and a screen, a flat screen to show us raw. This was like, (laughs) you know, your local government agency holding like a Christmas party on like the Friday before the holiday break. And we have a city council budget for this party. Yeah, it was like a scene out of the office. Um I mean, you know, they had um, they had a bottle of champagne in there. Some alcohol. Well, how how many years are we at? Way when will we be at twenty years here, so that we can have a similar party? 
Oh, you and I, I, I think we're approaching five here, at least with oh, post-wrestling, because I don't think we're supposed time. to include the totality of our partnership together, just like what they're not including the totality of Ray's career. So, yeah, it's true. Um, I, I could I could leave and go work at a post underground for a couple of years. Uh, yeah. And then and then I could come back here and I'm still it's a still uninterrupted run here <laughs> uh, to celebrate yeah. my 20 years. So Ray Ray actually gives a really great speech. He says he was 14 when he had his first match in Tijuana, never thought he would wrestle in a WWE ring, and thanks uh, a bunch of different people. It, it notes that he broke the stereotype of what a superstar should look like um, due to his size, which, I mean, one could argue that it, it comes at a very interesting time in this company's history that, um, you know, I... I think that the size barrier was very much alive and well in in this company, and we will see what, if any, changes occur over over the next while. Uh, but he name drops Dean Malenko, Conan, Batista, Kurt Angle, Edge, Eddie Guerrero, and he says he thinks about Eddie every day and thanks his family. He's proud of Dominic and that one day when I'm no longer here, you will represent the Mysterio legacy to the fullest. He thanks the fans for the... 20 of the most dopest, awesome years and all the people at the garden and then gives a message in Spanish before we get our angle up until the angle. I thought this was like a really nice speech from Ray and probably one of the longer ones he's delivered. Yeah, you're probably right about that, at least uh, in this run in the WWE. Um, it's, it's, you know, we've had several 20 year anniversaries uh, in a short amount of time here this year in the WWE and they've. um. I feel like we've tempered our expectations about what to expect with them because like in the past, if you told me like with the first one that they did, which I think was the Orton one, I mean, I was expecting it was sort of just the day of they announced it, didn't they? I don't even remember at this point. Like it it wasn't built up. The Cena one got it like, you know, a month of, of, you know, big promotion. But like, you know, initially I thought these would be like bigger deals. You know, I thought these would be sort of like, you know, like the Ric Flair retirement type of type of segments, you know, where like they'd have a procession of like people from their past and dedicate just like make it feel like that much bigger. Instead, what we got with like the the Orton one was just him coming out, cutting a promo as a way to lead into the match. Um, Not all that different from your typical Raw segment. Cena's I thought was at least a lot better in that like it wasn't at, like it was there purely just to kind of see Cena for him to deliver I thought what was a great promo and I felt this this Raven was somewhere in between in that like the the promo was far more substantial and sounded very genuine actually from him here you know like even outside of a professional wrestling story um you would have expected a, a speech that sounded similar to this that he would have said so i love the fact that he at least like got some time to speak in spanish i had no idea what he said but you know the fact that he there's like a little kind of intimate moment here between him and and his his that particular crowd i thought was really nice um but i i do wish like these are i do feel like these are missed opportunities to have something bigger to have, you know, like names from the past be able to show up to actually feel like an actual celebration rather than just here's a promo. Yeah, I think these are always, you know, a great excuse to do that kind of thing. Um, you know, j- just recently at the Triple Mania show, like they honored Conan and it was like a really nice segment. And like it was just, you know, really, you know, could see that it really meant a lot to him. Maybe at the end of the year, we can do best 20th anniversary uh, award to uh, our candidates would be Ray, Orton, Cena, uh, Impact, uh, Wow, yes. 
Wow, you're right. 2002 was a hell of a year. Brock, Damn. Batista. I mean, there's uh, there's plenty. Like that was their call ups. Yeah, Shawn Michaels' uh, second career. That's right. It was a very busy year. Brock too. You're right. Where's his twenty? Well, he he's his was 2000. I mean, it's called. He was called up 2002, so we you're missed right. that one. So yeah, why did why did we get a Brock Lesnar 20th anniversary celebration with him coming coming out and cutting a big promo? You know what the big one will be this fall. That Katie Vick, <laughs> uh, yeah, something what, what something. a year 2002 was. Hey man, PG 14 or sorry, TV 14, time to bring it back. So Finn shows up in the audience along with Damian Priest, they surround the ring, and we just go to break. So you leave for break, and you just I wonder what's going on right now. I wonder for like four minutes what happened here. They just stood there. Well, listen, this is the cliffhanger, John. This is you know why you that's how they hook you for the, the whole three hours. Uh, SmackDown in Atlanta. They're promoting the Donnybrook match between Drew and Sheamus. A Donnybrook. A, a good old-fashioned Irish Donnybrook shillelagh match. Yes. Maybe they'll have a... Uh, yeah, who knows? So this is for the title match at Clash at the Castle. Ray and Dominic against Finn Balor and Damian Priest. They had the heat on Ray for a long time. This was amazing because like this crowd was really into the Ray speech. But when Ray was just getting beaten down, man, they, they, they did not want to see any of this. Like, it was just a really just a lull in, the, in this crowd. And what they wanted to see was Ray hit a fucking 619. That's what this audience wanted to see. And when he teased it, this audience wakes up. Balor cuts him off, and they're pissed. He hits the coup de gras, but Dom's in for the save. Damian Priest hands a chair to Finn Balor, and Priest distracts the referee, going a step further than we've seen in the G1. And then Balor... Does the Eddie spot, which we were also getting uh, a lot of in recent memory. Mm-hmm. So Balor uh, takes the bump, but then Ray and uh, the referee is distracted by Priest and Priest doesn't do his part. Well, Do- Dominic ends up completing the distraction to prevent the referee from looking back and seeing Balor. Okay, so Dominic is involved here and this yeah. allows enough time for Ray to turn the tables and he tosses the chair to Balor and he takes the bump so Balor gets caught and the crowd really enjoyed this where he, he turned it around in a, a different play off of the uh, the much repeated uh, Eddie spot and then they hit a double 619 crowd goes nuts and Ray hits the frog splash on Balor for the win. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, the the guy being celebrated actually got the victory, and you know, stunning. That, it, it it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be a qualifier at all, but that to me, like, already you know, made the segment a a very enjoyable one. But the match, at least the finish, I felt was was really great. You know, the Eddie spot is, it, I mean, yeah, it might be a little bit overused in, in these several years. I feel like that's like twenty years since you know we've had that too. So maybe the tw- the twentieth anniversary celebration of the Eddie Guerrero cheating spot, uh, we should celebrate at some point as well. Um, we just saw it in the G1, which is, you know, for me a first at least. Uh, but tonight it, it felt very fitting and they managed to evolve it in a way that that made sense here with the Mysterios who are now masters at, at it, uh, knowing how to counter it. So I like the extra layering there. The Eddie Guerrero sort of influence in general in professional wrestling, maybe you can argue has has been pretty abundant. But it seems obviously a lot more fitting when you're talking about Rey Mysterio doing it. Uh, on a bigger stage and on this particular night i almost felt like it was really heavy-handed that i i wouldn't discount getting something a bit more substantial in storyline involving 
the memory of Eddie Guerrero in, in this, whatever's going on. And I say that because in the video package, you know, a big section, like he talked about everybody, but a big section was, was, was focused on Eddie with, with lines talking about, um, or in his promo t- today, you know, saying that I miss you every damn day, wouldn't be here without you, and you're always watching over me. But the, the clincher is this mullet that Dominic has been growing out, okay? Uh, which I cannot wait till he gets to like full Eddie Guerrero, you know, LWO mullet mode. Um, and then at some point, we're going to see the mustache. He's slowly transforming into Eddie Guerrero, and I fucking love it. He's even got now like this. Uh, the Mysterios have this like Scarface influence shirt, just like Eddie did too. So his transformation into his real dad is beginning, and I look forward to it. Oh, that's that's very that's very astute. And now yeah, I'm already envisioning it. There's no way he's that tall. Okay, coming out of Ray Mysterio. All right, they're gonna complete the story. It, it's 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 twenty almost twenty years in the making here. Mama Sita. <laughs> 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 hearing him cut cut an eddie promo would be great yeah it's gonna give me mileage that'll get me the 20 years cashback is not available on gas in new jersey and wisconsin hey good morning you're heading the airport right yeah thanks for checking i like the car how long have you been a rideshare driver about three years now i really enjoy it isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high not for me i use upside the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy wait a minute are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the upside app yep i get real cash back every time i get gas does that actually add up to anything i'll make around 200 to 300 dollars wow that's serious extra cash i'm downloading the upside app now download the free upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code car for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank account paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code car for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank that's code car the ESPY awards are highlighted here with cody winning best wwe moment and uh uh, Titus was also interviewed. Maybe this was worst WWE moment for last week's open. Um, we we shall see if it makes any list. I mean, it, it certainly is, it has been a bizarre several weeks. Yeah. Then we go to Ray's party room. Everyone's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do my best. <laughs> this was the best party of all time. I wanted to be at this party. They're all drinking champagne and chanting, Ray, 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 as Ray and Dominic return, all sweaty from their match. We just see the balloon budget. That was about 20 bucks. Um, I can actually tell you, because it was my son's birthday party today, that that two and the zero um, probably set them back easily 25 to 30 in downtown. Oh, wow. Jeez. So Ray does a shot with them all. There was this one dude. Yeah, some Patron. And this is one dude who's just like hanging out there. We don't know who this guy is, but man, he is so happy. And just go, 20 years, 20 years. Yeah, this dude was like, I don't know if it was his audition or what. Like, he, I mean, I'm sure he holds some sort of significant role in Ray's life that, I mean, I'm sure we'll learn about in, in the days to come. But yeah, he like, this was his moment, okay? Like, I imagine he was probably in, like, he could be his manager or agent or something. And he probably had like, you know, so much time in the background. And now he's got his chance. National TV. So Aaliyah has a gift. And she brings it over to Ray. And Dom goes... Did you pay for it? Oh. Oh. And he opens up the gift, and Aaliyah has uncovered 
his gear from Halloween Havoc, 1997. He says, how did, you, how did you find this? I had to dig for it. So listen, in our like in our little kind of fantasy booking now of of you know Dominic's slow transition to to Eddie Guerrero with mullet and all, like well, what's going to happen here? Again, this does, is another- does he wrestle Ray with this outfit on and challenge him for his mask? Maybe I don't yes. know. I don't know. I love it though. I like it's it's incredibly rare that I think you see on WWE TV any sort of reverence to paid to something that took place in WCW. And for whatever reason, like they they considered this branch of of, of Rays, including this look, to be like a, a significant part, enough part of his heritage that they could reference it like this. So I, I I'm kind of curious to see where where they're going with it. They did. They did have Santos Escobar use this gear for an NXT show him. a few years ago. Yeah that, was, yeah, that was just him. His choice. This seemed to be at least a creative storyline driven decision. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this this could be something where, like, down the line, he he wears the gear or, or something like that. Yeah, and and it really just hit me. You know, we're talking about who who really is the, like Chad Gable. Really, a poor uh, poor comparison to Nathan Fielder. Dominic is the Nathan Fielder of the WWE. <laughs> I do not understand that comparison at all. It is perplexing. Oh, goodness. So then Rhea Ripley appears and Aaliyah steps up and tells her to go fuck off. And she gets pie faced. And then Rhea, dude, grabs Dominic and just rips this guy into the hallway. I mean, dude, Dominic flew out of this room. Rhea Ripley is the muscle behind the judgment day here. You know, <laughs> she's she's the one doing like, you know, the heavy lifting for, for Priest and Balor, which I, I think is great. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. And this <laughs> Ray, Ray goes to save his son from uh, Rhea. And it's all a sneak attack as Finn Balor and Damian Priest jump Ray and Balor with the line of the night. It's not your anniversary. It's my birthday. <laughs> Beats down Ray and power bombs him through the table. Because, yes, folks, July the 25th, it's Finn Balor's. 41st birthday yeah i thought this was just like some really corny attempt at a line like it's not your anniversary it's my birthday you know f you you know what he wasn't even lying because technically smackdown was taped two days earlier so this was not his actual 20th anniversary just putting it out there this this was and your birthday is not done on a two-day tape delay because of upn thank you for the correction yeah so he he was uh, this was a factual statement it's not your anniversary it is my birthday. That's right. He did not lie. Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch, they just did a quick promo segment here where they just got into a brawl. Belair was pulled over the top by her braid, and the officials had to come out and separate them. Hey, so what, what's up with Edge? I thought he was supposed to be here. What's going on? Uh, Edge was not on the show. So I don't know. I, I assumed like he was going to get involved in this uh, somehow, but Edge was not on the show. Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, this segment was just kind of quick, just kind of forgettable. I wouldn't say it added much. It was just a presence on the show for the two ahead of their match on Sunday, yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, I thought I thought it became a pretty intense brawl, um, but I mean, a pretty typical brawl. Yeah. Sarah Schreiber interviewed Alexa Bliss, who is fine that Dewdrop keeps requesting these matches with her, but then she doesn't know why she and Nikki Cross are friends. And Dewdrop doesn't benefit from that friendship. 
Nikki, she mentions, is number one on WWE Shop. But now I'll explain why I'm number one and looks into the camera telling Belair and Becky, whoever wins, it doesn't matter. I'm reclaiming my top spot at the top of the women's division. Sure. Yeah. I mean, not many other people are competing for it. So all you really have to do to get your title challenge, you know, just tell them that you want it. And this, she's the only person really to, to state her case for it. So she'll probably get the winner. Ray is being checked on this poor guy. He's holding his shoulder. The judgment day returns. Dominic goes after them. And it's like the second time they get outwitted here because Rhea just runs over and kicks him in the shoulder. And I mean, I thought it was like back to back segments where they got outsmarted here. And I thought they just, just look kind of foolish by the end of this whole thing. Well, I mean, at least at least they let them have their moment in front of the crowd before doing all this heat. But it comes with a cost because then we're doing all this stuff. Yeah. Again, it could be to set up a an edge return, you know, to even out the odds. Um, but if they're going to have a Lee involved, you you have to think maybe. How, how are might... you evening out the odds? You've got two on two. Well, I thought I, I was. You're right. Yeah, because Edge can't necessarily come back to you know do a three on three with with Rhea Ripley on the other end, right? So um, maybe Ali is gonna you know um, come back and. Do some training. Well, they, they maybe, it's it. the, maybe it's the other Aaliyah, and she'll just kind of step into the role of Aaliyah Mysterio. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you're, yes, maybe <laughs> this could be Aaliyah from SmackDown. You're right. Yeah. So uh, they did announce it would be a no disqualification match at SummerSlam with the Mysterios against Finn Balor and Damian Priest as our one additional match added to the card in Nashville. Alexa Bliss and Dewdrop. I mean, crowd was pretty quiet for this. Dewdrop stopped a tilt a whirl, headbutts Bliss, and then Bliss lands a knee strike, seated drop kick, and then Dewdrop misses in the corner. Bliss climbs up, and Nikki knocks her down. Um, and then as Dewdrop lifts her up, Bliss turns it into a DDT and wins in 423. Um, this should get her right up to the top of the rankings. I oh, think. yeah. Yeah, she's red hot after this, yeah. No, the crowd was. This was the lowest point uh, in the crowd, uh, I would say, for this match. Um, and I think so much of it is just the state of the take. Sorry, the women's division as a whole, outside of Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. You know, you have a number of people who just have no characters whatsoever, no storylines. That includes Alexa Bliss, who up until this point we have no idea what her what her thing is. Like, what is her thing? She's friends. Well, a, few, a few weeks ago, therapy had softened her. But she still okay. won that match. Yep. Clearly. That was something. So that was nothing. We know that she doesn't have friends, but she is friends with the doll, but she doesn't need to be friends with the doll, who makes plenty of money uh, on her own on WWE shop. Um, it's just terrible. You know, like there's obviously some great talent in there and they're being very serious with her. But like, I thought money in the bank, bank would have been a real opportunity to like, you know, maybe, I don't know, give us something like to springboard off of that match, whether it be some sort of uh, jealousy from from uh, what is it? Uh, uh, Liv Morgan or, or or something just to kind of give us some material. But we haven't had anything. The fact that they have not turned her heel. Does it suggest to you that we might be coming out of money uh, SummerSlam with a with a heel champion in, in Becky Lynch? Um, I don't. I I would I, I would lean against that. I would too. Um, but I could see it. You know, I could I could see them. You know, changing the title. But yeah, 
I, I think there, there's plenty of people that you can look to that I'm sure are very excited about a change in in creative direction, just given what, what their plight is. And I would say Alexa Bliss would be uh, certainly one of those candidates who has just been going nowhere since she has been brought back. Yeah. Then, as just a tip-off to what was to come, we've got Logan Paul just hanging out in the back and outwalks AJ Styles and says that what you did out there to The Miz was phenomenal. And it doesn't mean I like you, but it means I don't like The Miz. So this was AJ trying to be cool by complimenting Logan Paul. He said, cool, man. But, 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 but not... But not, not that I like you. All the way. Yeah. But what you did was uh, against someone I don't like. So this was as much of an endorsement as they got out of AJ for Logan Paul to send him out to the Madison Square Garden crowd to be received as a hero. Yeah, yeah. Was this a conscious effort to recognize the fact that, like, hey, we probably shouldn't get our real baby faces to be friends with Logan Paul so that they might be drowned in, you know, whatever heel reaction that he'll also get? I think that this was designed to, like, I know he said it doesn't mean I like you, but I still felt that the purpose of this segment was to make it because the announcer said as much that, you know, he got AJ Styles respect and that means something like this was designed to kind of, you know, take one of our characters that you do cheer for that he's endorsing Logan Paul. I think in order to be, to have a segment like this, like one of these endorsements to be successful, the guy actually has to do something that is respectable to the audience, you know? Like you can't just have uh, the rock lift Roman Reigns' hand and be say and say, "Hey, this guy's great. You should cheer for him." It doesn't really work that way. He has to legitimately be impressive. And not to say Logan Paul hasn't done that because I thought coming out of WrestleMania he was actually impressive. But that's what AJ probably should have referenced rather than I don't know this generic pull apart from the start of the show. Hey man, you still play Pokemon? That's real cool. Oh, AJ probably know all about that. So then it was time for the first edition of Impulsive TV. Logan Paul walks out, and I'm not trying to be glib here, but I can't describe this any better way than to say he walked to the ring like an asshole. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Comes out drinking like a bottle of, I don't know, what was this, Gatorade? Tosses it to the crowd as if this crowd should be so grateful to have his half-drank drinking drunken drink not to mention like he's got the douchiest look it's like the pop just collar like this is the worst casting of a baby face i can recall like this guy is just a heel through and through and this was him trying to be a baby face and he's coming off with with that demeanor this is him trying to be the opposite oh no he's not even trying to elicit this reaction it just is embedded in this guy he is oh, a he, detestable figure. And that's oh, not a bad thing in this industry where that is a great way to get over with your crowd, to be detestable. Absolutely. And and like from what I gather, like he's he, – I, I feel like it's been it, – it's it's his demand that he wants to be portrayed as a baby face because like some some shift in positivity in his personal life or something like that like or his, his self-image that he wants to maybe cultivate these days. This is a guy who's taken professional wrestling way too seriously and does not recognize that you're playing a character 
and you you know you 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 playing a villain to the best of your abilities is a way of maybe you know expressing a positive uh life change perhaps you know it's just like you're playing a role buddy so <laughs> they're just going against what 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 already works this man uh should have came out instead of a suit wearing a life jacket because he was about to drown in Madison Square Garden on live television it was already evident. I didn't even need to hear a word out of his mouth. It was just that walk to the ring. I knew exactly what was going to happen over this, these next couple of minutes. And then he gets the microphone and he's all alone in the ring. And boy, if ever there was an argument of how valuable the Miz has been to this guy, seeing him out there on his own, it was all the evidence you needed. He yells, New York City! Dude, like the easiest reaction. And this crowd is like just at best mixed. Don't say the name of our town. They're like, get that out of your mouth. Yeah. My brother's fighting here next weekend. Booed. Completely booed. He had to have been at least self-aware enough to recognize that that would not have elicited any sort of cheers. I mean, definitely uh, uh, being a stickler here, but it's like. Dude, we're focused. SummerSlam is next weekend. Your brother's fights in two weeks. You know what I mean? It doesn't even have it right. He said next week. He said next weekend. Like, it's not next weekend. You don't even have it right. Uh, Never mind. That's like not even the least uh, of my concerns. Not even a complaint worth bringing up. But then he's getting totally booed from this. Like, they don't even bring up Jake Paul's name and they hate this guy. Um, But it's not next weekend, it's today. And today is tonight, and tonight is Monday Night Raw. It's like, did he just ex- like? Was that just a? He explained the concept of time to us, um, at least the English language here. So today is tonight, and tonight is Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. The crowd is not into this dude at all. So he calls out the Miz, no response. Then. <laughs> He's just insulting this guy. Finally, Maurice comes out and she plugs Ms. and Mrs. and tells Logan not to speak about their kids or her man's package. And then had this bit where she can't pronounce genitalia. So instead refers to them as tiny balls. And she's also got her purse, which is in the shape of two tiny balls. She explains that the average size of a man's balls are 1.8 to 2 inches, and her husband's balls fit into those parameters. Logan asks who measures their balls. So the Miz comes out in a matching pink suit to Maurice's outfit and explains, I do. I measure my balls. And so does every man in this arena. And he goes on to explain that he gave Logan everything, and gets cut off by Logan. Maurice slaps the mic away, and Logan says, you've got bigger balls than Miz. Ciampa jumps Logan, but Logan fights off Ciampa by himself. Miz gets involved. It's two-on-one, and it ends with a skull-crushing finale, which this crowd chants one more time as Logan Paul died Mm -hmm. a death during this segment. That uh, I was harsh on the new raid segment, no one's going to remember that segment. This was pushing like a SummerSlam match, a fairly promoted one for Saturday. This was a dreadful, dreadful segment. 
train wreck television. It was not good. No. Um, and, and I thought completely mm, harmed the feud. You know, a lot of people are watching this and I think a lot of people would have come out of it recognizing that uh, there's no clear baby face. If anything, the Miz, the is Miz the is more face. of, I could totally see, I don't know how this, this uh, crowd will react. It's not like we have gotten the crazy, um, you know, audience going a different way in a WWE setting in, in quite some time. But this is one that you could certainly see um, just an audience totally dumping on Logan Paul. And I have to imagine that there's a contingency plan for how the match will, will be laid out if, in fact, you know, the crowd in Nashville turns on him. Um, that said, though, like this is not anything unusual for the WWE to have book around the audience's very organic reactions to people that they want to shove down our throats as baby faces. And this is just another one of those cases. They'll edit the shit out of this reaction in the highlights package. And, you know, most of us uh, who... <laughs> I mean, a lot of us who watch the show will know what actually happened, but um, a lot of people who didn't will, will, wouldn't be any the wiser. Um, so, the, some the, some magician is going to take who measures their balls, and then they're going to take the audience reactions to uh, your daddy isn't here anymore. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, if if it works for Drive to Survive, I suppose it's good enough for a WWE. <laughs> It was not a successful segment, you know, uh, and and yeah, I, I maybe they're just going to give Logan Paul this month to be like, hey, like you wanted to be a baby face. <laughs> you got it. Um, sink or swim. And he he sunk today. Terrible segment. The Street Profits are with the Usos. Uh, Kevin Patrick is interviewing them and Jeff Jarrett is there in a referee shirt. And Ford says they'll give the Usos a preview of what will happen at SummerSlam. Jarrett gets between them and restores order and warns anyone that gets out of line that I'll remember it at SummerSlam. So tonight, keep the peace. And then Jarrett walks away. And then they start reciting their catchphrases. And Jarrett, like the school teacher, walks in to silence the children. And they stop when the teacher returns. And then he gives them a stern look walks away and then they like whisper to one another. I didn't know what the hell this was. It was their way of reminding you that Jeff Jarrett is the spe- uh, special referee. I got it. I got it. Yeah. He's the ref. He's got the shirt on. Well, yeah, the same shirt he's been wearing since Friday, so um, you know, really really signaling it out there to you. Um there's still no real reason why Jeff Jarrett is the referee for this beyond the fact that he has zero association with either person so or either team. Therefore, we should expect that he, he will do a, a job. I mean, it's also Nashville. That's the only reason. Um, I don't know. I, I found it uh, c- kind of interesting that, like, you know, one of my big memories of watching WWE as a kid is seeing Jeff Jarrett get kicked by Chuck Norris, uh, who played special enforcer in that particular match. And now he's sort of in that role. You know, cowboy had and all. So maybe he'll kick somebody. How things have, have come full circle. Alpha Academy against Dolph Ziggler and AJ Styles. Gable insulted the fans, telling them they live on an island that's soon going to collapse due to the human garbage that lives on top of it. And calls Ziggler and AJ embarrassments, just like the Knicks. So the match begins. Uh, Ziggler gets dropped by Otis as a chaos theory onto Ziggler, and then he gets out of the way of the moonsault, super kicking Gable. Otis is in with a save, 
And then Styles blocks the chaos theory by holding on to the corner and Gable rolls backward into a zigzag, allowing Ziggler to get the pin. And that concluded the match uh, involving four individuals who none of have matches at SummerSlam. No, but um, AJ at least seems to be loosely associated with this Miz thing. I would say very loosely. He didn't get involved in the segment. He didn't come out to save his pal. (laughs) <laughs> that is right. Yeah. Uh, Dolph is, is involved in a program on TV, at least with theory. So I don't know that something might happen there. But beyond that, they seem to hint that this is a tag team between AJ and Dolph that's going to stick around. So after jumping from tag partner to tag partner before beginning their singles programs, AJ and Dolph have each become each other's tag team partners uh, again. So I guess I'm happy for them. Yes. Uh Quite the tandem. And then the main event, Roman Reigns and the Usos against the Street Profits and Riddle. Uh, the Profits were out in the Knicks colors, and Ford takes out the Usos with a big dive, setting up our first commercial break. They had the advantage on Riddle for a long time. The, the audience is chanting at one point for Roman to be tagged in, so Jimmy uh, obliges. Jay crashes into the corner, allowing Riddle to tag Ford, and he's running wild until he's met with a urinagi by Reigns, and then Ford gets busted open in here, and he is bleeding just all over his face, including a big close-up as they go to the second commercial break. Come back by the baby faces. Riddle is in. He's going for all of his Orton spots. Uh, the draping DDT has stopped, so he hits a floating bro to both Usos. Reigns makes the blind tag, and everyone's involved. Ford goes down on the floor, Dawkins with a big shoulder tackle on the floor, and Riddle catches Reigns with the draping DDT, sets up for the RKO, it's blocked, and Reigns hits the spear, pinning Riddle, going into SummerSlam on Saturday. Mm-hmm, yeah. It was a good sort of like house show level match. Yeah. Enjoyable if you haven't watched any professional wrestling in the past year. But I think uh, for somebody like me who watches this every single week, I've been so oversaturated by these pairings and just these wrestlers and the style of of same sort of match, you know, that it just did nothing for me. The most interesting thing about it was like seeing Ford, you know, getting busted open, presumably hard way and seeing the, the cameras stick with it. You know, make yeah. like they're, they're embracing it really close up and all. So kind of interesting. And the final thing on the show was Rollins coming down, including passing by Roman Reigns and then attacks Riddle uh, using the steps. And there's this big, vicious beatdown on your baby face here in Riddle. And the crowd is just all humming Rollins theme. And it ends with him stomping Riddle in between the steps on with his throat going into the steps. And that's how the show ends. The crowd just humming along as Rollins destroys this guy. This should be at least expected though, you know, like, um, like the beat downs and, and, and whatnot. And, And it's New York. So I think cheering the heels is, is not that unusual. Um, you stole your way to remind you of the match happening on Sunday. Yes, it was a reminder. So that was it. I, I thought in terms of a go home show, like I, I, I enjoyed like the Ray segment uh, itself. Um, I just thought it was a go home show. I, I can't say this really elevated any interest. I, I thought this was like pretty poor for a go home show. I liked the uh, Heyman and, and Roman's promo at, up the top, but it was hardly yeah. the type of promo that like, you know, made you want to sign up for a subscription service. 
right then and there. Like it was good technically and it was fun to listen to perhaps in a vacuum, but like this match does not feel as important coming out of this show, this main event between Roman and Brock for both championships. It does not feel that important. And I think a big part of it is the fact that we have not seen these two on screen in quite some time. They're each taking turns appearing on, on, on each show and kind of almost like building this feud by proxy with the bloodline, sorry, with the, the Usos and, and, you know, beyond the fact that it's a rematch that we're seeing, it just doesn't feel like there's that much of a, I don't know, personal rivalry between the two or as much as that they're, they're seeming to indicate. Um, and then beyond that, what else we got? Like, you know, pr- a pretty generic show, I have to say. Like, I saw some response coming out of this from people that felt like this was a breath of fresh air. I don't, it tells me that you, you have not breathed at all, like in the past six months, because this is the same show that we've been getting, you know, essentially uh, for the better part of two, three years. Um, generic, you know, pull aparts between Belair and Lynch. Uh, what else do we have to speak of here? Yeah, you know, Riddle and Rollins, like getting just a little bit of a pull apart there. A lot of theory in the first hour. Um, a character in Logan Paul that they're clearly going against the grain to try and, you know, put in this role that's a square peg in a round hole. Um, I, man, you really need a magnifying glass to be looking for any kind of uh, a, like changes here, which I, I really don't feel what was, was the case at all. Like, I think. As I mentioned, it sounds like this was a show that was largely, you know, laid laid out before all of this. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this was not going to be the show that you were going to be seeing, you know, a a massive uh, facelift. I get the sense that now is not necessarily the time in the company for them to make waves. You know, now is the time to get through this period, maybe get through this news cycle even um, and just put on the show. And then reconvene and think of your actual plan of rebranding. And, and realistically, looking at the fall season, like you're you're in the midst mm-hmm. of the summer right now. You're going to be number one on cable, you know, unless you have something out of the blue on a Monday night in August. Like you're gonna you're gonna be number one on cable all summer, and then you come back in the fall, and that's when it really matters that you want to, you know, maybe have a bit of a campaign like the new WWE, yep. and really, and that's when you put out your leadership to do the media rounds and hopefully some of the Vince stuff has died off. You get mm-hmm. all of this stuff behind you. You have a concerted message that you can, you know, you're going to be asked about Vince, but you have all of this ammunition to take the, the conversation in a direction about how this is a different company now and, and we a different say, program. And we say, hopefully the Vince stuff will die off from the perspective as if we were speaking from the, from the strategic point of view of, of the WWE. I want the truth to come out. I don't want this story to die down. You know, we, we want, we want this story to stay out there. Um, and how are they going to combat it with their TV product? Um, in terms of the Vince stuff, like, like I really believe like you are not going to have a, a, a hint of Vince McMahon on yeah. any of this. Like I mm-hmm. think as like Vince McMahon has been, you know, deleted. And I don't think you're going to have any references to while you continue to hear him in the news. Yes. Um, It's the same way Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair were not part of this company until that, that news died down too. So I I don't, I don't discount the fact that, you know, a year from now we'll see. What, what could you envision that being like when you feel that it's, it's safe to cameo you know coming in as a mentor role for austin the- or like you know your next austin theory perhaps you could see him like coming back strictly as like an on-screen character 
Yes, absolutely, I can. You know, he he's already been relied upon to you know pop a rating here and there. Um, I know like all the stuff out there is bad. Hulk Hogan has, was it, it was involved in I think one of the worst like things that you you, you know that we've seen a, a professional wrestler face publicly. Ric Flair, not that you know, like I mean, pretty far off from Hogan, but still not that good either. And like everybody at some point seems to you know be forgotten about. But again, we don't know the full full brunt of what, what Vince has been uh, implicated for, uh, or or what he's guilty of. So could be different, but something tells me, especially with Vince, he's going to get a, a much longer is, rope than most. It is not a question about the audience's reaction. If Vince walked out on Madison in Madison Square yeah. Garden tonight, he would have been embraced. Like that's mm-hmm. not the question I have. It is more so um, the company from a strategic standpoint and all of the people they answer to that this was cutting the cord with Vince McMahon and separating themselves from this toxic figure. Certainly while you're being in, in the midst of a, uh, while you're in the midst of an investigation by, by the sec, probably not the best idea to parade like the dude that that's been, you know, uh, being investigated around on your, on your actual product. But again, a year from now, I, I wouldn't count, count it out. All right. Um, before we do the feedback, let's just quickly go over. This is the updated SummerSlam card. So we have Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar in the last man standing match. Pat McAfee against Happy Corbin. Bobby Lashley versus Theory for the United States title. The Usos against the Street Profits with uh, Chuck Norris, Jeff Jarrett as the special guest referee. Liv Morgan against Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown women's title. Riddle against Seth freaking Rollins. Bianca Belair against Becky Lynch for the Raw title, Logan Paul against The Miz, and the Mysterios against the Judgment Day in a no-disqualification tag team match. Nine matches listed, more than we have seen on recent uh, WWE cards, and uh, we will see what the uh, what the format is like for the show as well. I mean, the, the usual uh, format has been no more kickoff matches and condensing this into around a three-hour window, but maybe this... Goes past the three-hour mark. We'll see. I I could see this one going longer. Uh, I mean, number one, because you're only getting one night of it. Yep. And it's a stadium show. Like I could see this going three thirty or or possibly even four, perhaps. So <laughs> the the card, like as much as we always talk about the TV being like tough to watch, I think th- this 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 card can't not deliver. Like Lynch and Bella are going to do a great job. Um. The Usos and Profits are going to be tremendous. Riddle, Riddle and, Rollins and Rollins will be very strong. Yeah. I I usually last man standing matches are very well done in WWE. We will mm-hmm. see. Rain, Reigns and Lesnar are coming off a relatively flat match. Uh, we will see what they have. Like Lesnar, Lesnar, I don't think he's doing 25 minutes. Um, so he we will see. He should. And, and maybe this is just going to be like an intense 14, 15 Um but they did not have an intense match at WrestleMania that you thought would be sort of that that style of match. Like that was supposed to be the big culmination uh, to this program, the biggest match in history. But um, do we get I, color? I would guess yes. Actually, I think yes. so too. Yeah, I I could certainly Hard see that way? happening. Um, I hope not. I think I hope they've learned their SummerSlam lesson with Brock Lesnar. There you go. Blood and Guts is now in vogue, I guess. And then the big thing is uh, Theory and his his role on this show that he plays. And, and, and you know, two full-time celebrities that are or ce- 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 celebrities that are signed to full-time contracts in uh, Pat McAfee and, and Logan Paul. 
All right, let's do some feedback before we sign off. Hey, uh, we got a super chat here coming from Jake from the Windy City who says, Welcome back, John. Happy 10 years of WWE Ross. Is, are we officially past 10 years? We are, yes. Yes, it was uh, this past week. Goodness, wow. Um, what have we done with our lives? I also want to get to a couple super chats actually from this afternoon where we, we weren't actually accepting super chats, but um, we, we want to thank our uh, our people here for their support. And one comes from Rory who says, do you see a reset after SummerSlam in terms of logo sets, show theme, etc., camera direction? I think as we talked about, you know, S- September seems to be a better time for that. Don't you think, John? You know, it gives the, the, the new team a, a time to rebrand and and just kind of, you know, gives them more time to set up like a new direction. Yeah, I, I don't know how much you go in terms of like set redesign and all of this stuff. I like maybe maybe like you, you just feel the need for, for an upgrade. And, and sometimes that stuff that does matter. Um, maybe red and gold. Oh, OK, yeah. The whole color scheme gone. Mm. Maybe red will be gone. Um yeah, Maybe. we'll see. I, I, I honestly, like, from a strategic standpoint, like, it, it does make more sense. Like, build up these changes. Like, don't, um, you know, you're not going to be overhauling your company in a week. Um, you know, you might want to build to it where um, there, there's a whole ad campaign behind, like, Raw and building to a season premiere in sometime mm-hmm. in September when you can r- truly do a launch. And you do your one big show where you shoot a ton of angles and it's, you know, your crazy reset. Um, but ultimately, like, we're going to be looking at this product, what does this product look like in, in March? Yeah. And and what are, what, when you have a big show, what are, what, what are programs resembling? Are we going to see more cohesive storylines, stuff that is not dropped um, just out, out of nowhere? What, what the work environment changes are, are like, are the 2 a.m. meetings uh, a thing of the past for these poor writers uh, on the staff as well? Like all of these different questions that it's just going to take time because you're, you're talking about the potential of an entire uh, culture being shifted as well, which might be expecting too much uh, out of all of this, too. Mm-hmm. And then we got a Miguel Hippolito who sends five dollars. Thank you for the support. Both Rory and Miguel, Miguel and Jake. Uh, Miguel says, "Do you do any of you see WWE hiring more wrestlers and uh, us seeing less releases, more indie slash AEW slash smaller wrestlers?" I, I would say if, if you if you are someone at that level, your prospects of making it in WWE have to have you have to be more optimistic today than you were two weeks ago. That mm. WWE seemed like that had greatly narrowed in terms of entry level. I wouldn't say it was impossible if you're an independent talent, but you have to look at it today that it's there, there's a better shot of it. And that's that's great for talent if you have another entryway to make a full time living in professional wrestling. If WWE has an expanded view upon what what makes a star that you do not have to be a certain height or a certain weight uh, to or a certain background uh, in in order to get in the door in the company. It, an interesting question is because NXT I felt very much was shaped to fulfill, you know, the the wants a, a more direct path to the wants of what a Vince McMahon wants. Now that Triple H is in charge of you know the main roster, does that in essence change what NXT is going to be? NXT is serving the wants of the, the larger company. And that direction is 
through the pipeline of Paul Levesque. So it's going to be in like what his wants are going to be. Like that system is there to develop talent for his main shows. So the, the thing is, like a lot of people look at NXT. And it's like, okay, is this guy just going to, you know, poof? We're we're gonna go back. Like you don't have the people there that you can just go back and be like the 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 hard bell to bell wrestling. Like you have a lot of those key names are gone. So it's sort of starting from scratch if you want to really change that. And you've also put a lot of time and effort. I know that NXT 2.0 is not most people's um, f- favorite program. Um, but but I think like there are people there that you can certainly see potential in. I would certainly not write it off as uh, as a failure, but I, I think changes do need to be made to NXT 2.0, and I th- I think most would expect them over time. I suppose like you know my, my my bigger question is like do we still continue to see like the gimmicks like the poker player or um I don't know like x amount of like druids uh, appearing like things that that like the schism way the schism I'm sorry the schism you know things that like feel like they would translate to the main roster that much more smoothly I mean so much of it depends of course well, on what the main roster will look like in in about six months but you know it's 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 obviously something that'll have major ramifications across the entire uh, portfolio yeah it's it's going to make it um an engaging period for viewers that are going to be watching for all of this stuff like i do think in the short term um it is going to heighten people's curiosity to like i would imagine this extends to nxt tomorrow night even though i i think rock kind of you know tips your hand there that you know this this is going to be uh this is going to be a, a a marathon, not a sprint, when it comes to the real the real changes. And this is a marathon know. where you know you might like park on the side of the road and just rest for I don't know six months, then you start back up. Yes, um, this was um, yeah a, a very very long race that is still ongoing. Long pit stop. Okay, feedback time at forum.postwrestling.com. We start off with Richard. Gives us a thumbs in the middle show. There are some subtle things, but most of this episode felt as if they're continuing everything into SummerSlam. Then we start getting the some of the changes that we might be expecting. When I say subtle, you see some lesser emphasis on scripted stuff, less of the recaps, uh, but still enough to fill a three-hour show. And the actual use of the word blood on on Raw for the first time in a while when Montez Ford got busted open. I expect people tuned in to see that, uh, to see what, if any, was different, but I feel that might really start next week. The show is one I'm more looking forward to for WWE programming for the first time in a while. Remind me, what did they say in place of blood to refer to that red liquid in the past? They say busted open. I even hear the word blood on on the show tonight. And I mean, that's, I think you, you, again, you, you really, you really got up that magnifying glass out tonight. If like, that's your, t- it's like, it's a new era hmm. folks. Got a got a new uh, vocabulary on on Raw, which uh, we we'll see. I mean, it could be right. Like maybe I wasn't watching that closely to notice even these very subtle changes. But like, uh, part of me wonders if people are just looking for things, you know, to to, to claim that there might be some differences, and maybe there could be internally. I, I I really don't know. I just didn't really notice it myself. Benjamin says nothing is going to change a lot until the end of the storyline cycle, and all of Vince's production and creative teams are still in place. So for the first little while, Triple H's work will be to steer towards the current destination. And even after that, no guarantees that after this current creative cycle, what follows will be more black and gold doctrine and will likely be aimed at serving the same product. I do hope that talent is more relaxed and relaxed and optimistic about the future. I hope commentary has a looser format, too. Okay, and Alexander from Portland. 
I get that Roman is the number one guy in the company, but does he need two lengthy entrances in one episode? That Logan segment was powerful. The crowd mm-hmm. seemed quite disinterested. Vince may be gone, but jokes about the size of someone's testicles aren't. Would you have guessed a year ago that Tommaso Ciampa would be involved in a feud with Logan Paul? Roman and Lesnar are going to have their final match ever. Can we extend that to the Usos and Street Profits? They put on good matches lately, but they've been so overplayed over the past month. While I don't expect big changes on Raw soon, I do hope for a soft reboot. The company is restructuring with Vince gone, and I hope the shows get a visual change to mark the Triple H era. And he asks, do you think there's a chance Heyman turns on Roman and realigns with Brock at SummerSlam? Uh, Heyman turns on Roman. God, I hope not. We've been through that already so often. You know, you, you can't. That, you that would kind of do it, so. that would kind of necessitate Lesnar winning, and I, I don't like that direction. I don't like Lesnar coming God. out of this as your champion. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see that one happening. I don't want to see Heyman join Theory either. Like, I, I feel like we've that that one's probably more plausible. It's than, more plausible than that. joining I, Brock. I, I just don't want to see it. You know, we have such a great fit here in Roman and Heyman with the Bloodline and the Usos. We saw the brief experiment with 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 uh, Heyman joining Brock in in January, and I, we we can't just go back to it already. And we do we know like Brock Lesnar's long term status with, with the company beyond SummerSlam? Um. It's always, uh, you know, it's. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I hope not. Benjamin closes off here. He got this feedback right in time. He says they used to say viscous fluid, which um, I, I, I suppose. so. I, I, yes. I don't recall ever hearing that. Mysterious red liquid is also one that they, they might have said. So sure. There you go. It's a new it's a new era, folks. New, 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 new era. It's mm-hmm. blood. All right. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for the feedback, the comments, and for tuning into the show, whether it's live or downloading the show after. We appreciate all of your your feedback. And we are going to be back on Tuesday. We have a G1 show coming your way. Uh, They will be at Core Q&Hall Hall on Tuesday. So Wei and I will be back uh, Tuesday afternoon to do a G1 show for all members at postwrestlingcafe.com. We failed to go over the schedule this week, but we will have uh, multiple shows for Post Wrestling Cafe members. G1 shows coming out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Sunday this week covering all of the G1 action. On Thursday, we will do a special edition of the Ask Away Mailbag Show uh, coming out. This will be Way's last mailbag show, your last chance to ask him a question uh, before his his hiatus as he, uh, as, he, as he goes off. So this is the season finale of Waiting on the Ask Away Mailbag Show. I mean, really, it's a, la- a last chance for a, a month or two at least to ask you a question as well, John. So get... Get those questions in there if you're a patron at postwrestlingcafe.com. Actually, forum.postwrestling.com is where you get the uh, questions in there. Um, but yeah, then we've got SummerSlam this weekend, uh, the uh, SmackDown uh, Rampage show on Friday. And I would assume, John, like if breaking news happens, maybe you'll see something like what you did with Dave Meltzer today. Yes, if there is more this week, uh, we, we will break into regularly scheduled programming. So always keep your eyes on postwrestling.com. We'll be live immediately after SummerSlam. And Phil and Eric will be doing a UFC 277 post show Sunday at 2 Eastern, live on the Post YouTube channel. It is a packed, packed weekend. There's two G1 shows, SummerSlam's going on, UFC's going on. 
Uh, stardom starting the five star Grand Prix. Uh, Ric Flair's show is going down on Sunday night with all the StarCast stuff. So it is a loaded, loaded uh, weekend. So uh, you can pay attention at postwrestling.com. Way, thank you as always. And that is going to wrap up Rewind to Raw. Way, you have the last word. Welcome back. <laughs>